Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, Simplify. Our big idea today is it's possible to move from overwhelmed to in control when it comes to our finances. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. Enjoy and thanks for listening. I'm really glad you're here today as we continue our summer series called Simplify. And here's where we've been so far. In week one, I launched this series by talking about replenishing your energy reserves. And here's how you do that. It's time with Jesus. That's the answer. Because he's the one who fills. He's the one who replenishes us. He is the one who rejuvenates. But so often what happens is that the busyness of life detracts from our time with him. And when we lose our time with him, we can find ourselves in a lot of trouble. So time with Christ, this is how we replenish ourselves and how we rejuvenate our energy reserves. And then in week two, Lee White talked about harnessing the power of your calendar. And I honestly believe that one of the holiest endeavors that you can undertake is your weekly calendar. I want to say that again. One of the holiest endeavors that you can undertake is to spend time with your weekly calendar. And you're not going to hear that that much. Often we think of holy things like this. It's worship, it's prayer, it's scripture reading, it's visiting the sick, it's going on mission trips. And those things are holy. But yet one of the holiest endeavors that you can undertake is thinking about your weekly calendar and running it through this question. What would it look like if God were in control of my calendar? What would that look like? And what would change potentially? Maybe there's some things that I need to increase in order to make sure that God is in control of my calendar. Or maybe there's some things that I need to get rid of so that it truly reflects a God who is in charge of everything. So week one, replenishing your energy reserves, time with Jesus. That's the answer. Week two, harnessing the power of your calendar, and that is a holy endeavor, and we got to run our calendars through the grid of what would it look like if God were in control of my weekly calendar. And we're talking about all of this so that we can simplify and unclutter our souls. That's the goal here over our summer months. So I want to have some fun today, and I put together a too-busy quiz Because sometimes we may not know we're actually out of control and we're too busy. So to help us with this, I put together a little quiz. And so I want you to relax and just see if any of this applies to you. So here's the too busy quiz. Number one, your husband and children go on vacations without you and you are happy. (laughs) Number two, your to-do list is a list of to-do lists. So let me ask, any to-do list people out there? Okay, we'll be praying for you. We will. Number three, you just took down the Christmas lights. (laughs) Number four, your desk has so many piles that you resort to working elsewhere, which is too much. Number five, you wake up in the morning, get dressed and ready for work, and then you realize it's Sunday. I don't know if that's happened to you. And then finally, number six, you rush to brush your teeth and realize you've used Preparation H instead of Crest. So there you go. If any of that is happening or has happened to you, you now know it is 
time to simplify. And we're spending our summer here at Valley Point just sharing 10 different principles on how we can unclutter our souls. And the reason we're talking about this is because life doesn't simplify itself. It just doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, life has a way of becoming more and more complex and busy, and so we've got to gain control. And so here we are in week number three, and today we're going to talk about mastering your finances and finding simplicity there. So we're going to talk about money. Before I jump into the content, I want to share three money thoughts with you. Number one, money equals tension. That just seems to be true, doesn't it? That money equals tension. And it seems that there are a few things that have the ability to throw life into complete chaos faster than money. And tension that surrounds that. And when that invades, when we have tension surrounding our finances, life is not very simple at all. So it seems like money equals tension. Secondly, Financial tension impacts just about everybody. Those who are underwater certainly feel that. Overwhelmed with debt and bills and discouragement because they cannot see the light at the end of the financial tunnel. But I don't think it's just those who are underwater that feel financial tension. I think it also affects those who seem to have adequate financial resources, that they are also vulnerable to this area because they fear they might not have enough or that they might lose it all. And so financial tension impacts just about everybody, the haves and the have-nots and everybody in between. And then thirdly, it seems that we're always looking for just a little bit more, right? And we often say things like, If I just had a little more money, everything would probably be okay in my world. And I think deep down inside, we know that's not true. And the reality is, nobody really knows how to define just a little bit more. As a matter of fact, the Wall Street Journal a few years ago took a wealth survey and came to the conclusion in their survey that having twice what you currently have, or making twice what you currently make, would equal having a little bit more. So in their survey, they discovered that those who made $100,000 said, if I just made $200,000, well, everything would be okay. And then they ran that up the scale, and they talked to people who had quite a bit more. And some individuals who made $5 million said, you know, if we just made $10 million, then everything would be okay. If we just had a little bit more. See, I think when it comes to money... There is just a lot of tension, and it can be overwhelming and frustrating so much so that we don't really like thinking about this. Even now, you might be saying, oh, I don't really like talking about money. Even in my own family, this can be a tough thing. So I'm a family of eight, and I have six children, two who are walking through the whole college thing and four more at home. And they love to eat. (laughs) Imagine that. They really do. And eat all day long. And they have other desires and other things that they want and that they hope for. And honestly, sometimes all of these expectations can be a bit overwhelming. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I'm a pastor. That's what I do. 
I am not a financial advisor. I am a pastor. But one of the things that I love to do is to try to figure out what would God say about a particular topic? And how does God feel about this? And how does God think? And what are his desires when it comes to a particular area? And then to wrestle with that and come to some conclusions based on what we find in Scripture. And that's what we're going to do today. And judging by the sheer number of verses related to money, it is obvious that having success with our finances and having a right relationship with our finances is of great importance to God. I want you to think about that. Based on the sheer number of verses that we find in the Bible related to money and stewardship, and being content with what we have. Based on the sheer number of verses we find in Scripture, it is obvious that financial responsibility is of great importance to God. And so, if it's of great importance to God, it probably should be of great importance to us as well. So, let's talk about mastering our finances, okay? Here's our big idea for today. And that is, it's possible to move from overwhelmed to in control when it comes to our finances. That's possible, to move from being overwhelmed to in control when it comes to our finances. If you have a Bible or a device, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 19. This is the paragraph that we're going to unpack today, and we're going to find ourselves in verses 1 through 10. So Luke is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke. That's our guy today. And then there's John, and the four Gospels share the life and the story of Jesus. And we're going to hang out in Luke chapter 19. Now, here's what's happening. In Luke chapter 18, right before what we read here in just a moment, Jesus has been teaching and sharing a lot of different parables and stories. In the middle of that, he breaks to bless some children who wanted to have a conversation with him. And the close followers of Jesus wanted to rush the children away. But Jesus said, no, 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 I want to spend time with kids because I value them and I love families. And so bring the kids to me. And so in the middle of his teaching and sharing of these parables, Jesus pauses to have a conversation with some kids. And then after that, he has a very compelling conversation with a rich man. And you can read all about that in Luke chapter 18. And then Jesus tops it all off by healing a blind man. So that's Jesus' day, just busy doing the things that he did. And then we read this in chapter 19 and verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very, what's the word, church? Let's try it again. He had become very rich. Yeah, so we have two main characters here right at the start of chapter 19. There's Jesus, and we know about him and how he acted and what he did. And Jesus begins to move into the city of Jericho, and he's walking around. And there is a guy named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus comes from the Hebrew word zakeh, which means pure or innocent which is really fascinating here. Because what we're going to discover about Zacchaeus is he was anything but 
pure and innocent. That, that did not describe him at all. Because what we discover right away here in verses 1 and 2 is that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government and he collected taxes on their behalf and made sure that they got their due. Now, here's what we need to know. When Rome invaded a country, and they were pretty much in control of the known world at this time, and when they invaded a country or a city, they would pretty much take over and set up rule, and they would hire local individuals to collect their taxes. And they would free them to do whatever they had to do to get Rome's money. But they would also give these individuals freedom to take more than what was necessary. So these tax collectors would knock on the door, and everybody would know, we're in a lot of trouble. Because here comes the guy. Here's Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He works for Rome. We're not really happy with them. He's going to take money from us to pay Rome. We know we got to do that because that's the whole tax thing. But he is going to rob us blind. And we just know that he's going to do that. And there was nothing anybody could do about that. Because these tax collectors worked for Rome. And they were protected by the Roman government. And so everybody hated the tax collectors because they were basically thieves. They were the richest guys in town. They had the best of the best. And they did all of that on the backs of the people, often their own people. Because again, Rome hired local individuals, and that's Zacchaeus. He is a Jewish man, and he is robbing his fellow countrymen of everything that they have. In almost all ancient Greek and Roman literature, tax collectors are looked down on as individuals. Even in the New Testament, we find tax collectors and sinners often in the same sentence. They were undesirable types. That's just what they were. And that's Zacchaeus. So we've got Jesus. He's coming into town. And there's Zacchaeus, whose name means innocent and pure, but he's not that. Nobody likes this guy. And here's the rest of the story. Verse 3. He tried to get a look at Jesus. But he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And that word guest is very interesting because it means to be refreshed. It means to take a load off of your feet. And so Jesus finds this despised individual and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your home to be refreshed. I want to go to your home to put my feet up and to get my energy built back up again. Verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Uh, he can't believe Jesus wants to even spend time with him. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Remember, they don't like tax collectors. And now they're grumbling amongst themselves saying, can you believe that Jesus is going to hang out, not just with a sinner, but somebody who's really good at sinning. I mean, he's a notorious sinner, and Jesus is spending time with him, and that just kind of blows their mind. They don't understand why Jesus would do that. Verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, 
I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now, this is kind of a fascinating verse here that we often kind of look over and don't really investigate what's happening here. But the interesting thing about this is that the law only required one-fifth restitution for money acquired by fraud. And so Zacchaeus is saying here, I'm going to go beyond the law. I know this is what's required of me, but I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to do more than what is required by law in getting right with the people around me. So what happened? And we have Zacchaeus robbing people and taking money from them so that he could live and survive and enjoy life. And now all of a sudden, he is desiring to give money back. What happened here in this brief little dinner conversation and party with Jesus? Well, here's what happened. I believe that Zacchaeus found spiritual riches. I think he discovered that. And his eyes were open to spiritual things. And he no longer cared about stuff. He had a brand new perspective. A brand new view of life. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us exactly how this dinner conversation evolved. But we can kind of figure it out, can't we? Here's Jesus in the home of Zacchaeus, this notorious sinner. And nobody would hang out with this guy because everybody hated him. But Jesus is there. And there was probably a crowd around this place because they wanted to know what Jesus was doing in there. And you have to know that at some point during the dinner, Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and said, I can offer forgiveness to you. Zacchaeus, you can be made right with God. You can be reconciled with God. You can have a forever friendship with Him if you trust in me. Trust in me. Trust in me. And I believe this is the simple message that Jesus gave to Zacchaeus. And you can kind of picture Zacchaeus thinking about this deal. You know, this isn't a bad deal for me at all. I've really screwed up my life. Everybody hates me. I have no friends. And I do want to be made right with God. I'm running on empty in every area of my life. And I believe Zacchaeus took the deal. He did. And that's why Jesus says in verse 9, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Salvation came. I believe Zacchaeus trusted in the gift that Jesus offered him. And the result is, he now wanted to be made right with the people around him. Think about this. Zacchaeus' life changed in two different ways. Number one, he was made right with God by trusting in Jesus. I believe that happened here. Again, it doesn't say that, but based on his activity and his actions after this whole dinner party with Jesus, it's evident that he took the deal. He responded to Jesus. So he was made right with God by trusting in Jesus. The second thing that happened is he started the process of being made right with people by cleaning up his financial mess. And I believe he did that in a pretty simple way. He just started to pay people back what he actually owed them based on the forgiveness that he was experiencing from God. Everything began to change for him. And I believe that Zacchaeus discovered generosity. 
And what can be more enjoyable than that? One of the fun things that I get to see all of the time is people just get captured by generosity. And how that just completely changes the trajectory of their lives. And whether that's with something like our Real Home campaign a year ago where we saw generosity just reign. Or whether it's one of our Christmas initiatives where we just kind of blow past all of our financial goals and we have more to give away to organizations in great need and people who are doing tremendous work. Or whether it's even VBS where our kids just a couple of weeks ago set a financial goal to give money to some missionaries to help them do what they do. And they just exceeded that goal. This is always a good thing. And I believe that generosity reigns here at Valley Point and that God is very happy with that. Here's two generosity thinking points. Number one, generosity produces unexpected outcomes. Like you just can't explain it. It doesn't make sense. When generosity reigns, And when there is a generous culture, it just produces unexpected outcomes and you can't figure it out. And I believe this began to happen in Zacchaeus' life. And perhaps he was becoming his name, right? Pure and innocent. That's not who he was before he met Jesus, but then he had time with Jesus. He had a whole dinner with him and everything began to change and Zacchaeus became pure and innocent. So generosity produces unexpected outcomes. And then secondly, generosity is a personal choice. It is. We don't have to be generous. Uh, Nobody forces us to be that way. God doesn't demand that of us. But it sure is a better way to live, isn't it? So all of that to get to our takeaways... And I have four takeaways that I want to share today, and you could call these four takeaways for financial freedom. And some of these are pulled right out of Luke chapter 19 and what we've read based on the life and the story of Zacchaeus and how Jesus interacted with him. Other principles are just good words from Scripture. So I want to share these with you now in hopes that this will help all of us master our finances and move from being overwhelmed to in control which I think is possible for all of us, all right? Here's takeaway number one. All I have comes from God. And if we could just remember this and (laughs) remind ourselves of this, I think things would change rapidly. All I have comes from God. It's all His. And I have the ability to work. I have the ability to achieve. I have the ability to succeed and do all because of God. And if we could just get this and understand this, I think it would free us to hold everything with open hands because it's not really mine anyways. It is all a gift from God. And we start with this because I think this is the one big underlying paradigm-shifting truth that just changes how we view money. When we sense it's all from God, well, I can really hold things with open hands because He's the one who's given me the ability to have what I have, and to do what I do. Secondly, live joyfully within God's current provision for your life. And honestly, I think this is kind of a tough thing. I know I struggle with this. Maybe you do as well. Sometimes you look around and you see what other people do and what other people have, and you become dissatisfied with how you are currently living. 
I think the dangerous thing about that is when we fall into that pattern, we begin to do things that we wouldn't normally do with money and purchase things we may not actually be able to purchase because we want something that we really can't have and shouldn't have and we're not joyfully living within God's current provision for our lives. And when we do that, it's like we're telling God, you made a mistake. You you didn't give me enough. I think it's always bad to tell the owner that they didn't give you enough. If God truly is the owner and that's what Scripture tells us, then we've got to live joyfully within God's current provision for our lives. And if God changes that, well, that's a wonderful thing. But until He changes that, we've got to stay and remain joyfully where we are. And that leads to financial freedom. Thirdly, honor God by giving back to Him so He can accomplish His purposes in the world. Now, the Bible talks about giving 10% of what we have back to God so that he can accomplish his purposes in the world. Live off of 90 and give something to God so that he can do what he wants. If you've never heard about that before or you've never considered that, I would encourage you, give it a shot. Test God in that and see what he does for you on the other side. This is what makes Valley Point go. And there are so many people who are obedient in this area. And you can look at your program and you can see that we are not only meeting our weekly budget, we are exceeding that. And we want to be sure to give God all of the credit for that. And I want to thank you for your generosity so that Valley Point Church can be at its best financially. That is the result of people living this way. But I don't believe God wants us to stop or settle with where we are. I think there's still more generosity to uncover right here. And maybe God's kind of speaking to you and pushing on your heart and whispering to you about this. Listen to that. Be open to that, mindful of the fact that God actually owns everything that I have. And I don't think God wants us to stop. There is still more justice to chase. There are other people who need Valley Point to be at its best and more organizations that will benefit from our generosity. So let's keep, let's keep, let's keep being generous. And I don't just say that to you and challenge you with that. I would never do that. Our family has chosen to live this way and we have so many stories of God's provision. But we have to say no to a lot of things in order to accomplish that. But so worth it. So worth it. Let me ask you this. Is your faith walk kind of blah? It's not that excited about God and what He's doing in your heart and in your life. Maybe you once were. Like, I can remember a time where my friendship with God was growing and dynamic and strong, but now it's just kind of blah. Or maybe you feel a bit bored in your relationship with God. There is a way to get that back. When you see the safety line when it comes to generosity, and we all have a safety line, and it's going to be different for every person in here, and that's between you and God. But when you see the safety line when it comes to generosity, like it would not be good for me to go beyond that. It would not be wise for whatever reason. We all have our reasons. When you see the safety line when it comes to generosity, Run past it just once. Just once. And see if God doesn't meet you on the other side of that and completely reinvigorate your faith.
I believe he can do that, and he does it. Finally, number four, live each day with an open ear toward heaven, eager to respond to any whisper from God regarding your resources. Just live each day with an open ear. Has that ever happened to you? Like God kind of begins to whisper in your heart about how you might be able to meet a need with your resources or your time, and you begin to question that. Like, God, like, are you saying that, or do I just feel guilty about something? Sometimes I'll have these conversations with myself, and I think it's myself, where I sense God might want this. I'm like, no, 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 no. Now is not the time. God, you are not saying that to me right now. This is not possible. And then I say, this is just a conversation I'm having on the inside with me. But I think that's often God's spirit giving us a burden and a passion to maybe do something or fill a need that nobody else sees. And so I would encourage you, live each day with an open ear toward heaven. What is God whispering to you about your money and your time and your resources and how you might be able to fill a need that nobody else sees or nobody else cares about? And God is whispering to you because you're the one. You're the one. So live each day with an open ear toward heaven, eager to respond to any whisper from God regarding your resources. And I think in doing these four takeaways, in living this out, we really do have the ability to move from being overwhelmed to in control. Let's make that happen this week, all right? Father, we're so grateful for what we discover here in Luke chapter 19. This is just an incredible story about provision and about somebody who had a pretty messed up life. Zacchaeus was a hated individual. Nobody really cared about him, but then he spent time with you and everything changed. God, we've had time with you today. Kind of a dinner party of sorts. And we've been reviewing the conversation that you had with somebody else and how their life completely changed because they saw spiritual riches and all of a sudden the stuff around them didn't matter. And Zacchaeus trusted in you. He took the deal. And then he also started the process of being made right with the people around him. God, whatever you're whispering into our hearts right now, God, I pray that you'd help us to listen. God, for some, maybe you're offering to them a deal. And they've never trusted in Jesus alone to save them. And yet, like Zacchaeus, they're hearing the conversation, take the deal. You can be reconciled to God. You can be made right with Him by trusting in Jesus alone, right where you're sitting from your heart to God's ears. I would encourage you, cry out to God. Tell Him that you're trusting in the work of Jesus alone to save you and rescue you. Ask Him to be your leader and forgiver. And just like Zacchaeus, He'll enter and he'll be your forever friend. He'll do it. Take the deal. Maybe for some of you, God's really kind of whispering into your heart right now about your stuff. And maybe you're understanding and realizing for the first time it's not really mine. It's all a gift from God. Just talk to him about that. Maybe God's whispering into your heart about generosity and giving back to God, living off less so that you have more to share with God so that he can accomplish his purposes throughout the world. Or maybe there's some other need that you know God is 
tapping on your shoulder, saying, go for it. Do that. Give that. Share that. Just talk to God about that right now. God, sometimes we don't like talking about money. But yet when you walk through the pages of Scripture, you see verse after verse and story after story that touches on financial kinds of things and stewardship and contentment and management. So God, you want us to be financially responsible. That's important to you. So God, I pray that you'd help us to simplify in this area of our lives. God, it can get filled with tension so fast, so fast. And we can allow clutter to come into our lives financially. God, I pray that you'd help us to unclutter our souls even in this area. And just be obedient to you and listen to you and what you want for us. God, I pray that you continue to use Valley Point Church to be a bright light of God's generosity. God, you've already done that. And it is so fun to watch people just get captured by generosity and what we have been able to do as a faith community to serve organizations very close to here that have great needs and we've just been able to give them things and money so they can do what they do. God, would you give us an even greater capacity to continue to do that based on the generosity of your people. So we give this all to you, God. Help us to move from being overwhelmed to in control with our finances this week. We pray it all now in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.